You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the sunny climes of Western Japan here on the 22nd day of December 2012. Thank you all out there for tuning in for another edition of this broadcast here on Republic Broadcasting. And what an interesting edition of the broadcast it's going to be. Well, I've been talking about this a couple of days, or dropping hints about it at any rate. There is a big announcement about tonight's episode, and it is the 276th original broadcast of Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. And it is entitled, All Good Things. And perhaps the more perceptive of the listeners out there will already know what this is all about, but... Let's just spill the beans. Yes, for 2013, there will be no Corbett Report Radio, or at least none for the first few months, and we'll have to see how things pan out after that point. But Corbett Report Radio is about to come to an end, and this is the penultimate episode. The second-to-last episode is tonight. So it has been an incredible ride here on Republic Broadcasting, and I wholeheartedly thank the network for the time that they have allotted me here on the network to talk about these hard-hitting issues that actually matter and to bring some of this information to you out there in the RBN radio land. And I definitely want to give my hats off to all of the producers behind the scenes who have helped out over the years, or over the 14 months, I should say, of the Corbett Report radio broadcast, including, of course, Mike and Dan and Manny, Everyone else who works behind the scenes to make this radio broadcast possible, once again, I couldn't have done it without any of you guys, so thank you guys so much. And thank all of the listeners out there, of course, for having tuned in and uh, listened to me over these many months. I have certainly appreciated your listenership, your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, and all of that. Uh, long story short, why am I doing this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I suppose the the, the personal and uh, the professional, and of course in the personal note, I am about to become a stay-at-home dad, and I simply don't know at this point how, when, or if I'll be able to fit live radio broadcasting into that mix as I take the step into fatherhood. So I am clearing the decks for live broadcasting because it uh, will be pretty unpredictable, I imagine, for me over the coming months, but on a more professional note, also, I have found that this radio broadcast is an excellent way of getting the word out to people, but it is an extremely large undertaking every single day, at least three hours of my time dedicated to this broadcast, which is only one hour on the air, but of course there's preparation and then editing and posting and all of that sort of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So it has taken a significant chunk and significant momentum out of my other work that I'm doing at CorbettReport.com. And I think people will notice a significant drop in other types of videos and things that I've been posting. I have not been posting as many GRTV backgrounders and other types of um, interviews, etc., because I spend a lot of that time on the radio program. So I am realigning back towards some of the core work that I do at CorbettReport.com and will be ramping up my video and interview output on CorbettReport.com in the new year, which means, unfortunately, something has to give. Unfortunately, I can't do everything, so I am going to be cutting back on the radio broadcast. 
Having said that, I truly do appreciate your listenership over this past 14 months, and don't worry, for all of you out there who have access to the internet, I will still be at CorbettReport.com, and in fact, putting out even more via my web output, and all of that uh, interview and and video output will be increasing in the new year, as I say. I've even got some uh, things up my sleeve for some new new series that I'm working on, but I won't spill the beans on that just yet. So sit back tonight. We've got the penultimate episode of Corbett Report Radio. We're going to take a look back, a listen back, I suppose, to some of the past highlights of a few of the episodes that I thought were pretty good, starting with the first ever episode and kind of my mission statement for this radio broadcast. And we're going to take a listen to We Are Winning, where I was outlining the climate gate and how that was a positive thing. And finally, also, we're going to listen to an interesting conversation I had with Andrew Gavin Marshall earlier this year that I'd want to share with you guys again. Sit right back. I'll be back at the end of the broadcast to talk to you once again. my friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. As I say, I am your host, James Corbett, and I am broadcasting to you from Western Japan as we speak. And of course, there are many, many things going on all around the world. And being in Western Japan, one of the foremost on my mind is, of course, the ongoing nuclear crisis at Fukushima Daiichi, the nuclear power plant that was stricken by the 311 earthquake and tsunami here in Japan and has since been spewing out nauseous, toxic, radioactive substances into the atmosphere and leaking them into the ocean in unprecedented levels, as more and more scientific studies are showing. But uh, but before we get into all of that type of nasty news, um, maybe I should, as I say, introduce myself and some of my websites, because as I introduced in the first segment, we I do have CorbettReport.com, where you can follow basically all of the media that I've been putting out the last four and a half years. But there are other websites as well that I maintain, including uh, FukushimaUpdate.com, the newest website in the Corbett Report arsenal, which looks at uh, the Fukushima crisis and gives daily updates of basically every single news story I can find all around the web. So it's a great source of all-over information and uh, I think a great roundup of information that I don't know of any other website that, that does quite that much in terms of collecting all the information on Fukushima. So if you're interested in the, the gradual poisoning of most of the northern, northern hemisphere, I would suggest FukushimaUpdate.com as a place to go for that. I also run ClimateGate.tv, which was set up obviously in the wake of the ClimateGate scandal, the 2009 climate uh, change scandal in which the University of East Anglia's uh, internal emails and documents were leaked out by an anonymous whistleblower and exposed a lot of the collusion and collaboration going on in the shadowy world of climate science. Uh, Sounds almost ridiculous until you actually start researching it. And so ever since then, I've been posting updates, uh, news and information coming out about the ongoing global warming scam. I also have alqaedadoesnexist.com, which is the homepage for a documentary that I started in late 2008, early 2009, about the sham of al-Qaeda and how uh, that that fiction that was really invented um, by the U.S. government has been used as an excuse to take more and more of our rights. That is an ongoing documentary project, but it hasn't been added to in quite a while. 
And I also have a website for my forthcoming book, Reportage, which is a book that I'm working on and have been working on for years and will continue working on until it's done. So I'm afraid I can't give any more firm timeline for the release of that book than that. But as I say, the number one website to go to is CorbettReport.com, and there you will be introduced to my podcast, my interviews, my articles, my videos that I've been creating, conducting, producing, and uh, editing together for the last four years now. And it's been quite a remarkable ride, really, from there to here. But I suppose I should start from the beginning, as everyone wants to know about the biographical details and the background of the people that they're listening to, and I think not without some cause. So let me start by saying, as I said at the beginning, I am a Canadian. I was born and raised in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in beautiful Calgary, Alberta. And I still think, for my money, the Rocky Mountains are the most beautiful place on the entire planet that I've traveled to in my many travels around the world so far. Uh, so I, I always hearken back to there, and that will always be my home and native land. And I grew up and I was born and raised there. Uh, my parents are from England, so I had a bit of British upbringing and background, but I, w- I was always born and raised and lived in Canada. And uh, I lived there my whole life, and I ended up going to college in my hometown of Calgary, University of Calgary, and studied English literature. And after that, I spent a year and a half working at a property management office in downtown Calgary, managing uh, the commercial Skyrise properties and And basically, I was the front desk gopher doing a little bit of everything. But it was a great experience, a great opportunity to learn a little bit about that uh, that interesting world of commercial property management and, and all of the things related to that. And it did give me a bit of grounding in the real world after all of that highfalutin education that I'd been exposed to or indoctrinated with all my life. And then I, after that, I, I saved up all my pennies during that uh, that period and I I saved up enough to actually go to Dublin, Ireland, to study uh, Irish literature at the uh, University of College. Uh, sorry, University of Dublin Trinity College, and I did that for a year and uh, earned earned a master's degree while I was there. So that was an incredible experience, and uh, I don't remember much about the education, but the the bars and the drinking were great. No, no, no. Well, in all seriousness, it was a beautiful, beautiful country, and I enjoyed my time there very, very much. But it was extremely expensive. So it was one day on campus at the end of my uh, year-long master's degree program that I managed to run into a friend completely by accident who just suggested that he was going to look up possibility of teaching English in Asia and be fancying myself a bit of a world traveler and wanting to see more of the world and never having been to Asia, I thought, that's a pretty good way of making money and traveling. So it was that soon enough I was uh, using the Internet to find my next job out here in Japan. And that was, uh, I guess probably eight years ago now that I was looking for that job, and then seven years ago I actually arrived on the shores of the land of the rising sun to start my new life as an English teacher, which, of course, was only going to be for one year. Of course, only one year. But somehow it ended up being a little bit more than one year. And here I am seven years later. I'm still living in Japan. I have a wonderful Japanese wife and many friends here, and I very much like Japan and many things about Japan and Japanese culture that obviously compel me to stay here. And uh, it's, of course, very difficult to watch what's happening with Fukushima and knowing that uh, that this great country and these great people are being so horribly affected by what's going on. But uh, I guess moving away from the biographical background, it was about four, four and a half years ago that I moved into the Corbett Report and started producing CorbettReport.com. And the reason that I did that, well, 
it, ultimately, it comes down to uh, just the chance happening of managing to get an internet connection in my home and suddenly encountering things like YouTube and, uh, and Google Video and things that just hadn't existed before when I first had the internet. So it was like a great new discovery for me, and like kid unwrapping presents on Christmas morning, I got right into it and started delving into the types of political subjects that I've always been interested in, but never really been able to just research uh, to my heart's content like that before. And it was not long before I started encountering information about 9-11 truth and the, the real truth behind the economy and other things that really opened my eyes to what's going on in the world. And after that, as they say, there's no turning back. So here I am all these years later. And I've been thinking to myself about what would be a good mission statement for this radio show that you're listening to right now, as this is our first ever edition of Corbett Report Radio. It should start off with something, some kind of some kind of statement of why I'm here or why you should be listening to me and why we should be learning together here every day, day in and day out, every weekday at this time. What is the point of investing our time in this? And I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I think ultimately it boils down to two words. And these two words are inseparable. They're different sides of the same equation, and if you take one of them out of context, it unbalances the equation and everything falls apart. So you have to put them together. The two words are outrage and conviction. Outrage is one of the things that prompted me to start the Corbett Report in the first place, and there are a number of things that outrage me. That we are expected to believe that 19 men armed with box cutters and directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world committed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world, managing to knock down three buildings with two airplanes and fly their jumbo jets through corkscrew turns that that combat-trained airline pilots say they couldn't perform nine times out of ten under the most ideal conditions, is outrageous. That we are expected to believe that the ongoing meltdown of the world economy concocted by well-connected banksters and their cronies in government, which they've long since bought and paid for, is going to be solved by giving the banksters more control over the world economy is outrageous. That we are expected to sign ourselves, our children, and the future productivity of the world for generations to come into servitude to pay carbon indulgences to scammers and schemers like Al Gore and his Enron fraudster buddies to mitigate the effects of a global warming that is no longer happening to to maintain a supposed ideal temperature and carbon dioxide level that has been chosen completely arbitrarily is outrageous. That we are expected to sit idly by while authorities who rule over us implement biometric scanners and homeland security checkpoints and flying police drone tasers. If you don't believe me on that, just wait until we get into today's news. But the flying police drone tasers and all the other technologies in the name of a terrorist boogeyman threat that turns out in the government's own documents to be returning veterans and gun owners and Ron Paul supporters is outrageous. That we are expected to look the other way when the most wealthy and influential people in the world gather in complete secrecy under a complete media blackout at the site of the Bilderberg Conference every single year, is outrageous. That we are expected to believe that Gary Webb, the man who exposed CIA drug running in the 1980s with his Dark Alliance series in the San Jose Mercury News, committed suicide before completing his magnum opus on the issue by shooting himself twice in the head. Or that the DC madam hanged herself 
before exposing any of the high-stakes political players on her high-class call-girl clientele list, after having told people that she would never commit suicide, or that UK government whistleblower Dr. David Kelly died of a small wound to his left wrist and a couple of undigested pills after having told people that there were dark forces at play and he would be found dead in the woods, is outrageous. That we are expected to believe that the single greatest warmonger in American history, the man currently occupying the Oval Office, is worthy of a Nobel Peace Prize, or that he would bring us some magical hope and change if only Congress would work with him, or that he is a good-intentioned man who just has to play ball with the system, is outrageous. That is the outrage. But the other side of this is the conviction. And as I say, if you don't understand the outrage without the conviction, then the equation doesn't balance and nothing makes sense. So when we come back from this break, let's get into conviction that drives us forward, and I'll give out the call-in number so that you can join in on today's program. Radio. Tonight we are going through CorbettReport.com for examples of the fact that we are winning this battle against tyranny and that we will win in the end as long as we do not give up. And again, this is not to be Pollyanna about the situation or go into it naively. I think it is uh, It is certainly going to be difficult, but I think we have to believe that we do have a chance of winning and uh, that these, these forces that we're up against are not all-powerful, mythical beings descended from from hell or ascended from hell in order to uh, to keep us enslaved forever i mean there are ways that uh, that these people who claim to be running the world are just fallible humans and they do make mistakes and they are not uh, impervious to all attack despite their pr to the to the contrary and that's why so much of their pr is to further and encourage the idea that they are an all-controlling all-seeing all-powerful mystical secret society brethren who are absolutely impervious of course they're not and we are going to win this thing so on that note let's look at some more examples and we will turn to an article i wrote back in january of 2010 in the wake of the climate gate scandal which i think was one of the one of the big wins of recent years where the entire climate uh, agenda was really derailed uh, completely by the climate gate scandal and uh, despite the fact that the discussion has certainly moved on to other matters by now, I think Climate Gate was a big part of waking up a lot of people to what's really going on. And on that note, I held a contest in uh, late 2009, early 2010 for listeners of the Corbett Report podcast to uh, find creative ways to help spread the word about Climate Gate. And, uh, and there was actually a prize associated with that, a signed copy of my forthcoming book, Reportage, which is not quite ready for publication yet. So <laughs> I, let me apologize wholeheartedly to the people who actually won this contest and are still waiting for their prize. I guarantee them once I get this book done, it will be in the mail. <laughs> At any rate, uh, we uh, wrote an article called Arrest the Climatologist Contest Entries, highlighting the work of some of the listeners who did some incredible work raising awareness and, and spreading the word about Climategate. 
winning entries. There were three winning entries, one for uh, a, an individual who sent a Gravatar in that uh, people could use to help spread the word about Climategate online, Gravatar that you could use as your online persona when you're uh, leaving comments on blogs, etc., uh, there was another winning entry of uh, someone who was using his own radio show on uh, FM radio in BC to talk about uh, climate change with Dr. Tim Ball. And there was another from our, our old friend and previous uh, guest on the po- uh, podcast and broadcast, Denis Rancourt in Ottawa, who uh, has used it, used his own radio program uh, to spread the word about climate gate. He also called into. Uh, French uh, Canadian uh, radio to talk about uh, climate gate and bring that to the awareness of the listeners. So some great work there. Of course, lots of honorable mentions from all sorts of people around the world. Um, people in Sweden creating images about climate gate. Someone in Argentina um, keeping up a blog with climate gate developments. Um, there was someone who sent in a poem called "R.I.P. Global Warming." Uh, it's extremely uh, interesting and funny. Uh, I, I suggest you go and read this article so you can get that. Uh, also, people writing articles in Spanish and uh, letters to the editors in the Dallas Morning News and Facebook uh, pages and all sorts of things that people created in the wake of ClimateGate to help spread the word. And, of course, the Corbett Report, even at, the, at that time, was just a, a ripple in a much bigger pond, I guess, uh, of the alternative media and uh and but still, I mean, I'm just hats off to all the people who participated in that and who at that time were doing their level best to get the word out about that. And once again, I think it was demonstrable that the Climate Gate Expose did have a huge, huge effect. Obviously, the immediate effect of derailing the the Copenhagen talks and the the, the very real talks of instituting some sort of formal institutional world governmental structure to help deal with this scourge of life giving CO2 gas. But also, uh, I mean, the ripples from that event continued on into the future and into our current uh, times where, of course, as I say, the debate has moved on, but still more and more people are now skeptical about the entire climate scientists who we are supposed to lay down and uh, venerate and uh, give our lives over to, basically, in the name of this alarmism that they've been pushing for far too long. So once again, ClimateGate, another great example of how people truly can have an effect. In that case, it was kind of this gift-wrapped package that landed in our laps that we could uh, then use to, to basically get people to, to take a look at what's going on and to question what we're being told by these scientists. Of course, that gift-wrapped package being the, uh, the documents that were leaked out from inside the University of East Anglia. And I do say leaked out as opposed to hacked as the uh, the global warming alarmists like to say it because uh, it turns out uh, according to one of the latest updates i've seen the uh, the the police force that was investigating the so-called hacking of the uea's servers has apparently stopped all investigation and that's uh, that's not confirmed by an official spokesman but uh, the i guess the the access to the the fund funding for the uh, different investigations shows that no money has been spent on this investigation in the past year, meaning pretty much that it's uh, a cold case. So that means they did not find any uh, any indication that there was people hacking into the University of East Anglia servers. Again, if all of this sounds like I'm speaking in a foreign language or something because you don't know the backstory to ClimateGate, I would just say to, to uh, go to CorbettReport.com and type ClimateGate into the search bar on the top right corner of the page there, and you'll find all of my previous work on this extremely important subject. 
But once again, we can have an effect, we do have an effect, we are spreading the word, and we are changing minds, and that is having real effects in the real world, and we can't lose sight of that. On that note, we'll take another short break, and we'll be back with more signs that we are winning right after this. If you love your Uncle Sam, bring him home, bring him home, my girls and boys in Iraq and Afghanistan, bring him home, bring him home. All right, friends, welcome back to the program. Once again, this is Corporate Report Radio, and tonight we are talking to our guest, Andrew Gavin Marshall, who, of course, is one of my colleagues there at BoilingFrogsPost.com. And once again, if you're just tuning in, we are featuring Boiling Frogs Post guests and subjects all this week as we prepare to release a new Boiling Frogs Post DVD that contains not only seven of my own eye-opener reports and not only an editorial cartoon video reel from Paul Jamial, who does excellent work there at Boiling Frogs Post as well, but it also contains an interview between myself and Andrew about his work there at Boiling Frogs Post and uh, some of the things that he's up to. So, Andrew, also a part of this DVD that will be forthcoming. And once again, it's not available yet, but as soon as it is, don't worry, you guys will know about it. So, uh, let's continue where we left off. We were talking to Travis in Tennessee. He's uh, outlining some of his ideas for what we can do to supersede the power structure and over overgrow the government instead of overthrow it, perhaps. But, uh, but let's talk more about some of your ideas there, Travis. What have you got on the board? Great. Well, thanks again for, for letting me speak up. Yeah, uh, so basically, um, yeah, there's there's four things um, that, that I feel like, you know, would really help. Um, it's not necessarily a step process, but it's things that happen all the time. And if you think about your voluntary arrangements or your friends, things that you, you do every day, this, this happens a lot of times anyway, um, especially for black-minded uh, people like ourselves. But so uh, nullification, so, uh, you know, if you don't, uh, agree with with things that are that are going on. You know, you can we can look at you know money or food or education or healthcare. Um, just don't participate in it. You know, you know, um, and this goes right along with deceiving yourself from it. Your participate your participation. Um, nullification is really the attempt to try to put it out of business. And we can look at anything that the government does. Um, I've looked at money a lot, but like you know, using alternative currencies. Um, like Shire Silver is a, a good example. They were uh, formerly a Liberty Dollar. Um, any of the hours systems, uh, lets, uh, local exchange uh, trading systems, and of course digital currencies. But yeah, I mean you can go into anything: food, education, healthcare. Um, and then superseding is just creating alternative um, means. And, and this is, like I said, using an alternative currency. You know, maybe you garden. Uh, for your food, maybe you tutor children in in the area, you know, instead of having them participate in the public school system. Um, and then finally, emulation, uh, which is basically learning from the successes of others and the, the failures of, of others. Um, I feel that um, just basically open source sharing of what works for you and um, you know just all these successes that happen in in whatever uh, whatever niche. Uh, facet of the economy we're talking about here, but so nullification, cessation, uh, supersedence, and emulation is my um, my four uh, main points that I think every, each one of us uniquely can can 
you know, use whatever we're passionate about and do these four things. Um, the super well, well Travis, say, this might as well be Travis Report Radio because uh, that's exactly my, my thinking on this. And uh, pretty much I couldn't dispute a single thing that you said there. Uh, Andrew, what's your take on that? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, and the examples were perfect, and they're already being done, you know, and that's why we don't hear about them, because like you said, they are good examples, and you want to emulate good examples, so it's very important that people don't talk about the ones that are actually being done. For example, in Detroit, where a city so run down and economically destroyed, it may as well be a third world country, um... Well, you see people in very run-down neighborhoods are organizing uh, gardens and growing their own food. They even have livestock uh, right in Detroit. And uh, it's very successful. It's organic, and it's getting entire communities involved and revived. Uh, and it's something that's really inspiring and really interesting. Uh, Al Jazeera did a documentary on this because, of course, you have to get uh, this type of news from the Middle East because, Lord knows, you won't be getting it from the U.S. media. Um, and that's one of those just perfect examples. The caller mentioned food as one of those examples, which is incredibly important to take control of because you need it to survive. So it's very important to have alternative systems of growing food. And if you look at, for example, suburbia with all these houses and uh, their fenced-off lawns, well, the fences are going to have to come down and people are going to have to start growing food uh, in their gardens or replacing their lawns with actual uh, gardens and growing their own food. This is just a matter of necessity and increasingly so. And there's tons of other examples, as the caller mentioned. I absolutely agree. Absolutely, and exactly right. If you take, if you are self-sufficient with food and you have alternative local currencies that can't be manipulated by, you know, central banks, then you've already removed two of the main leverages they have over you. So, it's a huge step in in terms of overthrowing the power structure rather than than really uh, trying to to argue or dispute with that power structure or engage with it. Just simply replace it. So, so Travis, I couldn't agree more. I thank you very much for your call. Hope you'll call in again in the future. But we have another caller on the line, so let's move over to Lark in Texas. Lark, thanks for calling in tonight. Well, hi, James. Hi, Gavin. Can you hear me Hello, okay? Go ahead. Sorry. Yep, absolutely. Go yep. ahead. Oh, great. You know, um, I must admit, I have been enamored uh, with the language that, uh, with the types of conversation that you're having right now for a very long time. I remember in uh, 1980 uh, attending, uh, well, actually, I catered a, an event for 2,500 people, and it, it featured Buckminster. I noticed in one of your comments, you reminded me of some of his famous book quotations about I'm sorry, you uh, broke up a little there, but I, I'm assuming you said Buckminster Fuller? I did. Okay. Yeah, and uh, but it wasn't until later that I realized that he was uh, really a rather an avowed socialist. That I began to look back and re-examine some of my own indoctrination to authoritarian constructs. And just recently, as an example, we started re-examining this thing called altruism. I noticed Gavin that. I'm sorry, again, you're breaking up. Are you on a cell phone? Lark, are you there? 
We lost them. All right. Okay, Lark, sorry. If you're still out there, please call back in. We're interested in your comments there. Well, uh, of course, Lark does raise the the, the specter of uh, socialism, which is uh, certainly something that I am ideologically opposed to as someone who is more interested in anarcho-capitalism. But, uh, Andrew, I know your your sympathies lie more towards social movement and and struggles in terms of class consciousness. So what's your take on, on that issue in particular and how it might unite or divide the anarchic anarchic tendency altogether uh well i like to think of myself as libertarian socialist which is just another word for anarchist uh if you look at true anarchism uh it's very similar to true socialism uh for example socialism as to be uh considered separately from state socialism which i am opposed to uh just like any other power structure, institutional power structure, I should say. Uh, socialism itself simply means workers controlling the means of production. Uh, in a sort of anarchist organization of, say, a factory, you have workers controlling the factory. Um, a socialist control of a factory is workers controlling the factory. Socialism is not the state controlling the means of production. That's state socialism uh, or just another brand of uh, not to quibble, but has there ever been any other kind of of socialism? Has there ever been non-state socialism? Well, yes, but I mean, in the same examples that there's been uh, examples of uh, anarchism and uh, organizing factories, and I mean, you look at uh, Spain, for example, uh, up to the Civil War and the uh, fascists who destroyed all the progress that was made. But Spain had an anarchistic government, which was libertarian socialist, uh, largely. Um, and then, of course, you had um, sort of uh, socialist ways of organizing factories in Argentina, and even you've had worker-controlled factories all, and businesses all over the United States, uh, some of them quite successful. Uh, they exist all over the world, and you see this also developing in crisis countries in Europe right now, like in Greece, where you see workers taking control of hospitals and uh, even taking control of factories and other things and attempting to uh, keep them open and get them functioning. And uh, generally speaking, I mean, there's failures and successes like in anything, but generally speaking, they're quite functional. And Spain was uh, far more advanced than any other country in terms of uh, anarchism. Um, and they... Uh, uh, had a quite um, amazing experiment that was taking place. So, of course, the fascists came to destroy it. Um, but uh, the example still exists in history. And you you use the term anarchistic government. Uh, I'm not sure I understand what that means. A paradox, right? Anarchistic uh, organization, I should say. Um, you know, like Barcelona, for example, was uh, run in entirely through uh, uh, anarchistic organizations and uh, communities. Um, so it wasn't, of course, a government dictating and organizing, but it had uh, the, all the services and everything, and it was functioning quite well. Uh, it was all organized by these uh, sort of libertarian, socialist, anarchistic communities and uh, groupings of individuals, and it was quite successful. Um, you also saw the same thing that actually took place initially in the Russian Revolution, where you saw workers taking control of factories and many collectives being organized, and then the Bolsheviks came in and destroyed that. And then they called that uh, communism, when in fact they destroyed the actual communal organization that was taking place. Bolsheviks uh, funded by Wall Street. With the, uh, 
the train of gold and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have Lark back on the line, so let's bring him back into this. Lark, it, it sounds like uh, these are going to be some points that you're going to dispute, so so let's hear from your side of it. Well, and, and not out of any sort of meanness. Uh, I hope you can hear me better now. Yes, yes, you sound clear. Yeah, uh, Noam Chomsky is a noted uh, libertarian socialist, and I understand that tradition because, frankly, I... Uh, tended to gravitate towards those kinds of folks most of my life. I've often said that liberal was not a bad term, and, and uh, uh, neither was a progressive. But uh, I must say, in my late 50s today, uh, I've had to reexamine some of these things in light of what I've studied over the last several years vis-a-vis communitarianism, because it is a, it is a pure variant of what we can term pure socialism. Uh, it does not eschew or disavow the corporatist model that this uh, country was founded upon. And yet it frankly embraces things like cultural Marxism as well as, uh, um, uh, frankly, collectivization. And this is really troubling to me. And I noticed that uh, the title of your project uh, is reminiscent of uh, Howard Zinn's book, uh, The People's History of the United States, or something to that effect. But I have to tell you that uh, the ideas that you espouse, uh, I wholeheartedly embrace. The only problem I would ever have is if anybody ever wanted to, to include me in their plans. And I think perhaps that's what you're saying in a sense, because uh, you, you point... Uh, also to uh, uh, anarchy, which is, I think is a healthful uh, development within those variant strains of what we classify uh, clumsily today as socialism. Uh, and then, frankly, just uh, make this, this comment vis-a-vis the, uh, I pointed out the name of the, uh, the event for a nationwide touring exhibit that I catered in 1980 called Creativity, the Human Resource, of which Buckminster Fuller was the, uh, the, 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 the famous uh, speaker that was the head speaker of that uh, event. But what do you think about the fact that now the psychologists and the psychiatrists are claiming that creativity is rather a uh, mental illness? Yes, it, it, I think they're saying it, it often goes along with mental illness, but yes, exactly. Well, it does everything. <laughs> well, indeed. Andrew, your thoughts on, on what uh, Lark said there? Uh, well, should I comment on the last point on saying uh, <laughs> Whatever you want to pick up there, or if you have any questions for Lark or you want to dispute what he was saying there. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, it, it sounded good to me. I'm not exactly sure what was meant by... Uh, uh, advocating to include uh, him in this. I kind of got lost at that point. But uh, uh, the idea of, I think, collective organization, uh, there was a point made upon that, and I do think that collective organization is good because it's been proven to be effective. And it doesn't mean uh, collective thinking, which is what we have in our society today where people don't think and act as individuals. Uh, My understanding of uh, collective uh, organization is that 
you need the free-thinking and acting individual in order for any collective organization to actually function, and vice versa, uh, for any collective organization to function effectively and efficiently, it needs to be composed of free-thinking individuals who are able to act and think uh, independently, uh, because these, I believe, are actually not opposed to one another, where I often see a lot of the... Um, discussion moving, either you're for individuality or you're for collective uh, collectivism. Um, I don't see those as diametrically opposed. I see them as mutually beneficial and necessary for one another to function properly. Um, you know, people uh, will be able to bring their own talents and their own ideas into collective organizations. And without collective organizations, uh, the individual talents and ideas uh, of these people will not be able to have an actual effect. Uh, you know, the idea that the product of uh, any one person's idea, you know, that sort of type of uh, Ayn Rand ideology of individualism, right. um, where it's just you, it doesn't really function. I, I see where you're going with this, and I understand that that's the way that this debate often gets framed. But for me, it's not even a question of individualism versus collectivism or some sort of synthesis of the two. For me, it's all about just voluntary participation in an organization. As long as participation is voluntary and all interactions within that organization are voluntary, I have absolutely no dispute with any type of organization people want to come up with. And uh, right. that doesn't, uh, by its nature, wouldn't subsume any individual's ability to have authority over their own life and to withdraw their participation from that system. As long as that's on the table, I'm happy with whatever people want to try, you know, try their yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I mean, the ideal would be to see so many different examples from uh, libertarian socialism to what's called anarcho-capitalism. Or, uh, there's such a massive variation. I mean, you won't find any type of variation like you will in the vast uh, domain of what's called anarchism. Uh, there's so many different types and ideas and ways of organizing and acting and uh, undertaking various uh, alternatives that I think the best to, would be to see all these differences and to see actually what works and what doesn't and to have this type of experiment. And like you said, voluntarily. Again, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think we have to put lots of ideas on the table, and I think, honestly, the best ones will survive. But uh, but again, uh, a lot to discuss. Lark, if you want to hold on the line, we'll uh, keep you over for the last segment. We will take one more break. We'll be back to finish things up. Andrew Gavin Marshall, andrewgavinmarshall.com, right after this. Welcome back. We are back live here on this Friday night edition of Corbett Report Radio on the second last ever edition of this radio broadcast, or at least for now. I'm not closing the door on Corbett Report Radio, and there is always the possibility it will return in the future when and if my schedule sorts itself out and I have the ability and the freedom to do so. But for the time being, something has to give, as I say, and unfortunately the radio broadcast is going to be that thing that gives. So, once again, I absolutely do appreciate all of your listenership to all of you out there who have been listening to this radio broadcast. 
And I want to assure you once again that CorbettReport.com is going to continue. And of course, all of the radio broadcasts that I've done will continue to be archived there for posterity. So you can still, of course, download all of these conversations, including the uh, episodes that we listened to tonight. And they will be linked up in the show notes for tonight's episode. And again, it's uh, it's quite a lot of uh, work that I've done over the past year and a bit on this broadcast, so I hope you do appreciate it. But having said all of that, of course, this is the penultimate episode of the radio show, so that means there's going to be an ultimate, a final episode. So next week, of course, is the Christmas uh, slash New Year holiday, and I will be rebroadcasting for most of next week, but next Friday night, so that would be December 28th, I will be again back live on the air for one last kick at the can, one last episode where I hope it'll serve as a bookend as the first ever episode of this broadcast served as my mission statement. I hope that this, uh, the last episode of this broadcast will serve as something of an encouragement and inspiration for people to continue on with this work. And once again, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still at CorbettReport.com. I'll still be putting out videos. I'll still be doing interviews. I'll still be doing articles. I'll still be doing podcasts. And in fact, even more so in the new year. And again, this just frees me up in order to do approach some of those, uh, those other topics and other series that I'm hoping to get underway in the new year. So once again, this is just a change for those of you who are already subscribed to the feeds and who are already um, uh, following my work at CorbettReport.com. For those of you out in Radioland who only ever hear this show on the radio or via Republic Broadcasting, I would wholeheartedly encourage you, please come over to CorbettReport.com. I trust trust me, it's a, it's a good website. There's There's lots of information there. Of course, it's all free to download. You can subscribe to the feeds for free. You can get all of the radio, sh- uh, the, the podcasts, sorry, the interviews, the videos delivered right to your iTunes or whatever for free at CorbettReport.com. And for those of you without access to the internet who have been listening to me on the radio, well, if this is uh, a sweet parting for now, then a sweet parting it shall be. But as I say, I will be back next week, next Friday night, with a last ever edition of this radio broadcast to wrap things up on what I hope to be a very high note. So on that note, once again, I want to thank all of you guys out there for your support throughout this radio broadcast and for putting up with me and for uh, supporting the guests who have been kind enough to give their time to help impart their wisdom and knowledge with all of us. And once again, this is the alternative media. It truly is just the product of all the support that I get from all you guys out there. So I truly have appreciated that. Once again, I am very much looking forward to increasing what I'm doing at The Corbett Report at CorbettReport.com in the future. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. You'll be able to find me there broadcasting, podcasting, and interviewing and videoing as usual in the new year. So once again, that's going to do it for me for tonight, and we will be back next Friday night with one last kick at the can. Until then, thank you all out there again for your support, and I'm looking forward to seeing you all again uh, one week from now. 